0: You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 302. and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. So how's it going during this Christmas season? Have you been reading in Matthew and Luke like we've been talking about? How about chasing down some of those cross references and getting lost in scripture? I hope so, because that's half the fun of it all. Now this week I've been using a bite, a Bible interaction tool exercise. I've been using the bite of meditation. You might be asking, "What is a bite?" and why in the world does she what What in the world does she mean by meditation? Well, we'll talk about both on the other side of the chorus of "Adore You" by River Valley Worship, the song that inspired me to head over to Isaiah 9 this week. So, before we get into all of that, let's listen. Unto us, a child. Okay, so to quickly answer what I brought up in the introduction, I headed to Isaiah nine because our song says, unto us a child is born, and Isaiah nine six says, for to us a child is born, okay? So, I headed to I headed over there and then I used the Bible interaction tool exercise of meditation because this section of scripture gives us some names given to this son that was born, and I wanted to take more than just a passing glance at them. I wanted to think about them and I wanted to slow down enough to recognize that these names were given to Jesus, and that they meant something. And that's what I mean by meditation. I don't mean some Eastern mysticism. I mean, let's do what the dictionary says meditate means. I mean, to engage in thought or contemplation or to reflect on it. And so finally, I use the acronym BITE for Bible Interaction Tool Exercises. So meditation is a BITE. I just use the acronym BITE to make it easier. But these exercises are simple things like meditate, meditate, slow down, and read in context. Simple habits like that, you can add to your own study life or mix up your study life with something new. So let's do that. Let's read Isaiah chapter 9 in its entirety. Also, if I read it in context, when I say read in context, I use the bite of context. I generally mean read the chapter before, the chapter that contains the verses that I'm looking at, and then the chapter after, I did that this week, and I hope if you choose to follow along that you will do the same. Now, reading in context will help you in several ways. Uh, It's, first of all, just a really good practice to engage with more of Scripture. We're becoming an Instagram verse society, you know, something short with a pretty mountain scene behind behind it without really understanding where that verse is located in Scripture, what is happening at the time of that verse, or even what the original human author intended. Now, what, what do you mean, original human author? Well, because I believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed, but he used humans to write it all down. So well, God is the ultimate author of all of Scripture, we have a few names uh, in the Bible, like Isaiah, of people who wrote some stuff down. All right. So to understand the context of what was going on in Isaiah's day, <clears throat> we would read chapters 8, 9, and 10. Now, when you do this, Don't fret if you don't really know what all is going on in those chapters. They are not all messianic passages, meaning this passage that we're getting ready to study is a prophecy about the coming of Christ to earth. Some of what Isaiah is prophesying about is really about Assyria and Israel, the the names of the, the places that are in the prophecy, and God's response to the wickedness of his people. Just do your best. Read the words and phrases you understand. It really helps to try to think about what you know about what's going on in history at the time of Isaiah's writings. But even if you don't know anything about that yet, you can still get a good idea um, of the context by reading these chapters. There's a lot of judgment and a lot of hope in Isaiah, and it can all be a little bit intimidating. The thing is, I believe you can do it one bite at a time, pun intended, okay? But seriously, the next time you read Isaiah, you will have engaged with the text at least once before. And then every time you try it again, it's going to get easier and easier. And the more of Scripture that you begin to read and understand, the more it will all start to come together. But you have to start somewhere. But this time, we know that this section is talking about Jesus. How do I know? I mean, you're going to be reading in Old Testament prophecies, and sometimes it's just a prophecy about what's going to happen next in their history, not necessarily a prophecy about Jesus. So how do I know? Well, sometimes we might not, but many times New Testament writers point back to scriptures to show that they were really about Jesus all along, and that gives us our clue. So for example, in Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This happened directly after he was baptized by John the Baptist and was declared by God to be his beloved son. Remember the dove coming down. This was the beginning of his public ministry, but before he went out, he went into the wilderness for 40 days. And then after that, he begins his public ministry. Now, perhaps you've never backed away from the text long enough to even realize that that was the timeline that you can't repeat back the timeline of events in christ's um, ministry but that's the joy of studying in context but anyway under the heading in my bible where it says jesus begins his ministry it says this beginning in verse 12 of the book of matthew it says now when he heard that john had been arrested he withdrew into galilee and leaving nazareth And then in verse 17, it says, from, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so there's your clue. What was spoken by the prophet Isaiah? So now you follow that over to Isaiah chapter 9, and bam, you realize that what you're reading about is really a messianic prophecy, or in other words, a prophecy about the coming of Christ or a prophecy about the Messiah. All right, so let's head over to Isaiah 9 ourselves to check it out. We're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 7 today because that is the specific text that we're going to be sitting in for the rest of the episode. But I hope you will read it in context. I hope you read 8, 9, and 10. I hope you'll spend some time in some of the other verses that we don't necessarily spend a lot of time in. But let's start in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, isn't that exciting? And isn't it beautiful to see it all kind of like together and to realize that it's about Christ? And maybe you've heard parts of those sections before and you just didn't realize where they were and now you get to um, have the opportunity to study them yourself so the light of Christ would shine and you can now see why they thought that the Messiah would have been some sort of warrior because the promise here is that he would break the rod of the oppressor and burn the boots and garments of the warriors that shed blood and all of this would happen um, all of these would happen because all of this would happen for unto us the child is born All right, so this is like a because the child is born, all this is going to happen. So we've been reading about the birth of Christ for the past few weeks. And if you are just now jumping into the podcast, then here's how you catch up. Read uh, Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. We've been reading it weekly, sometimes several times a week because the bite of repetition is so effective. We've also been writing down observations. I hope you keep doing that from week to week to week. Writing down observations is another bite. Simple, simple stuff here, but you'll be amazed at what it will do to your study time. Now, just last week, we studied Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 states, Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But I love this phrase, a son is given. So we've, we, we already hear about the um, for us, for unto us a child is born, right? He is born, born of a virgin called Emmanuel. and to us a son is given. Can you think of a well-known verse that may include this idea of a son being given? I'm thinking of John 3:16. It says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So in Isaiah, we see that a son is given. And in John, we see the deep motivating factor of God to give his son love. And then it goes on to say the government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to spend the rest of this episode talking about these names because names in the Old Testament mean something. And Isaiah knew this all too well. After all, his children were a constant reminder of the burden of his prophetic words, which are, um, I'm going to mutilate them. But Shear Jashub is one, and it means a remnant shall return. So like at one point, God was like, hey, go get your kid, Shear Jashub, because I want to use him, I guess, as like a, an example of a remnant returning. Or how about Meher Shalal Hashbaz? Which means swift to the booty and sw- speedy to the prey, and so Isaiah actually named his children things that God asked him to name that that would represent what was going on in the world in in, in his prophecies. So, but what we're talking about here are the Messiah's throne names. Now, these names were not intended to be written at the top of his English paper in high school, but they are. Rather, they are character descriptions. They were intended to give the nature or the significance of the person named. Now, I read this in an article I found on Bible.org this week. I'm going to link to the entire article in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at michellenezat.com. And this week's show notes can be found at that, uh, michellenezat.com forward slash 302. But uh, this is what he says In the ancient Near East, kings were in the habit of taking throne names when they ascended the throne. They took titles and added epithets to their names. Usually, the epithets they chose were too generous for mere mortals. For example, in the middle kingdom of Egypt, the rulers took five titles when crowned, each name referring to some god, some land, some aspiration that they had for their administration. One king was crowned, heard the priest say, let the great names of the good god and his titles be made like those of, you know, Mighty bull, one capable of planning, great in wonders, filled with truth, son of Ray, to whom life is given. Okay, so in these epithets, the king would be extolled as the repository of might, wisdom, wonders, truth, and all life. But for mortal kings, these are, to be sure, rather ambitious. But uh, so when these names are given to Christ, however... (laughs) He's God. He is all these things. We don't. Uh, we we see this example elsewhere in Scripture too. If you consider Second Samuel twenty three one, David is described this way. It says, "These are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel." Okay, so it's it's not um, completely out of ordinary to have a throne name. But when we read in Isaiah, it's not just a title. It is who Jesus is. He is Wonderful Counselor. He is Mighty God. He is Everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. So let's meditate on that. Now, let's, let's break these names apart a little bit, and then um, hopefully that'll give you just a taste so that you can do your own kind of thoughtful reflection on that this week. But have you ever heard this said? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God... Everlasting Father. Well, it's really not meant to be read wonderful, comma counselor, comma. It's meant to be read wonderful counselor. And while Jesus is wonderful, this adjective is meant to describe what kind of counselor he is. And the verb counsel means to advise or counsel. And uh, I can't tell you how important it has been in my life to have quality advisors, right? So I cherish godly wisdom and counsel. It helps make my, my paths straighter, so to speak. But this is our King, our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, the one who is all of this, but wants to have relationship with us. He fills us with his own spirit. He is our counselor and not just any counselor. He's our wonderful counselor. This is not a claim that is unsubstantiated to make him look like a really impressive king. He's a character, it's a characteristic of who Jesus is. But what about mighty God? Well, this is a direct claim that Jesus is divine. He is God. When you know that this verse is about Jesus, you see that right here, he is declared as God. The Son that was given is declared as God. And we know that God is mighty, he is all powerful. This is, um, actually talk about this characteristic of God, this omnipotence. You may have heard the term omnipotent. Basically, that is just the same thing as all-powerful. You can actually listen to episode 255. I have a little bit more discussion that includes this characteristic of Christ um, being all-powerful. But When I have a wonderful counselor who is also divine and all powerful, I serve a God king that can handle my mess, mess of the world. You know, I mean, no matter what's happening in the world today and in our lives, we can depend on the wonderful counsel of our mighty God. Not only does he give wonderful advice uh, and counsel and direction, but he also uh, has the power to make it happen. Now, spoiler alert, uh, most of that counsel is found in the pages of his holy scripture that he is so graciously given and preserved for us. So it behooves us to continue to stay in it and read it. Uh, but what about everlasting father? Now, this literally means father of perpetuity and is basically one who will perpetually be father. This is... Very comforting to some of you um, who maybe fathers aren't perpetually around, uh, or maybe it's a little off-putting to others because who wants to have um, a very harmful father in perpetuity? Unfortunately, though, we, we always filter scripture through the lens of our own experiences, but take my word for it, this is a good thing. This is a wonderful counselor who is mighty and God. He is not just a temporary king. And to emphasize it further, he's everlasting. His reign will not be up for grabs every four years. He is always good, always strong. He is everlasting. But what about this idea that the son is the everlasting father? I mean, I know that's a little confusing, and I'm not 100% sure we'll ever quite wrap our minds completely around the intricacies of the Trinity until we see God face to face. But the point Isaiah is trying to make here is that the sovereign Lord, who had always enthroned the Davidic kings, would come and rule as Messiah. All right, but even Jesus reminds us in John 10 30, he says, I and the Father are one. We talked last week about Jesus being the exact imprint of the Father. So this everlasting Father title is given to the one who holds the universe together. And whether we completely understand it or not, it's still pretty amazing. And finally, the Prince of Peace. I love what the article I referenced said. It says, to Isaiah, peace is a condition in which all things follow their destiny undisturbed. I like that. But this kind of peace comes in the age... When the new heaven and the new earth are established, but Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he will be the Prince of Peace. Now, Jesus talks a lot about peace in the New Testament. I think everyone always assumed uh, when talking about peace, when reading scripture, I think they always assumed that it means absence of war. And ultimately we will see that in eternity, but we definitely serve the Prince of Peace in the here and now. Now, before I wrap up, I want to read that last phrase in verse seven in the English standard version, Version it, re- it reads, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I love how the new living translation puts it. It says the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. All right. This is an intense devotion and eagerness and enthusiasm. This thing that God has done, this giving of his son, this was not a checklist item. His zeal. His intense devotion, eagerness, and enthusiasm for his kingdom made this happen. And as we ponder our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and this story of his first arrival on earth, may we remember the zeal of the Lord of heaven's armies made it so. So what's next? Well, keep reading in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 and now add Isaiah 9. It's okay to meditate on the four names of Christ in this passage. You can take some time to just think Think. You don't constantly have to be reading and studying and jotting down notes and things like that. That's the joy of meditation. Now, when God does reveal something to you, I pray that you do write it down uh, because if you're like me, I forget. Uh, But you could follow some of the cross references to learn more about how Christ displays these characteristics in Scripture if you really did want to dive in a little bit more. Be sure to read in context, even if it's just to give you the practice to incorporate this habit into your own Bible interactions. And then while you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at com. You can hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Instagram at michelle Uh Michelle L. Kizat is my public page on Facebook. And let's talk about what you're learning now. Before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Christine from North Carolina, Amanda from Australia, Tracy from North Carolina, Cindy from North Carolina, Jude from Mauritius, and D- and Diane from somewhere in the U.S welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bytes that I've used on the podcast. It's a really great place to start, so it's my gift to you. And then subscribers will also benefit from a weekly email that I send out, uh, giving you a memory verse resource to, to display on smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You get an email recap of the week's episode and instant access to any of the extra resources that I create for my episodes from time to time. And all All of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. Now, have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Uh, This not only encourages me, but helps me stay visible to new listeners. As always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app, Of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using The Arrival by Anna Miriam Brown from His Story, The Musical. We should be awaiting the arrival of Jesus in our hearts at Christmas as a precursor to awaiting for his ultimate return. And if you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michelleknizat.com forward slash 302. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation.